Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we just come to you in the precious, matchless, majestic, awesome, wonderful name, the name above all names, the name where every knee will bow, the name where every demon will flee, the name where every yoke will be broken off of people's lives. Father, we come to you boldly in, into the throne room of grace in Jesus' name today that we might obtain your mercy and find your grace today, your divine assistance, your strength. Father, we thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding might be enlightened. God, I thank you for spiritual truth going forth where lies can be shattered that we've been believing for years, God, that the truth of God's word would prevail in our hearts and in our lives, God, as we get into your word tonight, that it does not return void, but it accomplishes each and everything that you set it out to do. Father, I thank you that there there is no limits to what your word can accomplish. There are no bounds to the word of God. It is unexhaustible. It is eternal. It is everlasting. It is anointed. And Father, I just thank you for that anointed word tonight. And Holy Spirit, we just say you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, Lord, is what our heart longs for, to be overcome, to be overwhelmed by your presence. So Holy Spirit, we look to you, the teacher, the helper, the guide on the inside to illuminate truth unto us, God, like, like only you can. And Father, I just thank you get that, that that truth, that we shall know the truth. I was just reading it this morning, that we shall know the truth, the truth of your word, and that truth shall set us free. And I thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as I was uh, thinking about getting ready this week, I had a, a book out and it was a, it was a, I'm trying to think, help me guys. I, I like interaction too. Um, autobiography, is that where the person writes it or where somebody else writes it? Okay. So I was reading an autobiography on Michael Jordan. Yes. It, it's, it's his story. It's his, his perspective on the game. And I, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing chores, but I'm hiding in the, in the guest room. You know, laundry's, so, hey, you doing laundry? Yeah, I'll be there in a minute. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going through this book because it's, it's, it's got pictures in it, and it's like, ooh, I'm having fun here. And uh, I got to this page in, the, in this Michael Jordan uh, autobiography, His Love for the Game, I think it's called. And there was like this, this poster shot, and this book is like huge. I mean, it's like a, it's a coffee table thumper. And I had that thing laid out, and I flipped through it to a page, and I had to turn it sideways, and it had him, and he was just getting ready to just throw it down. And then it had some quotes, like, going all the way down the page, and I just, I started looking at it, and I, I read, like, a sentence or two of what he was saying, and I just got glued to it. And I, I just started reading it, and I went through it, and I thought, oh, that is so good. And then I went through it again. But he was talking about vis visualization, and I'm going to read to you what I, what I read. I actually quoted it verbatim, so this is, this is Michael Jordan's words here. It's a little lengthy, but I, I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth saying. Um, but he, Michael Jordan, he said this on, on visualizing. He said, I have used visualization techniques for as long as I can remember. I always visualized my success. 
It wasn't, it wasn't until later in my career that I realized the technique is something most people have to learn, this art of visualizing. I had been, practice, I had been practicing these principles naturally my entire life. I visualized how many points I was going to score, how I was going to score them, how I was going to play and break down my opponent. If I was playing against a scorer like Reggie Miller, I would envision his tendencies, his favorite uh, spots on the floor, how he liked to receive the ball. It's like I would watch this little game unfold in my mind. Then I'd make decisions based on what I saw. Should I attack early to put him on his heels? Now, as I'm reading this, this is natural, but I'm taking it over to the spirit realm. And he's saying, I would play this out in my mind, and then I would make decisions based on what I see. Should I attack early to put him on his heels? I had to stop him as well as score on him, so I would devise a plan based on what I had visualized. I didn't pay too much attention to statistics So I didn't always know if a guy was shooting well or not, but I had seen every player in the league enough to know his preferences. It didn't always play out exactly how I saw it, but most of the time it did. The process of seeing success before it happened put me in a a positive frame of mind and prepared me to play the game. Now get this, once the game started, I never thought about what was supposed to happen. Rather, instinct took over. But in a way, I knew I already had seen specific ways in which the game could unfold. That's visualization. Now we could learn a lot from that. How Michael Jordan would actually visualize and paint these pictures in his mind in advance when he would hone in his craft of basketball not only would he hone in his skills but he would actually play out these games against other opponents in his mind he would put them and and be familiar enough with them to know what they would do how they would move their strengths and their weaknesses you know the bible tells us that we are not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices And some of his greatest devices are deception and lies. That is the only card the devil can play. And if we can recognize and understand that all he has is lies and deceptions and the spirit of fear to get the people of God to retreat from what he has called them to do, he is going to use it every time. And, and if, he, if he knows that we're going to bite on those lies, he's going to continue to feed them to us. But when we begin to infuse ourselves with truth and allow the Word of God to infiltrate our hearts and our minds, we will begin to identify those lies and begin to cast them down. So I ask you today, what kind of picture are you painting for your life? This is so important because this is where our life starts. It starts with a seed thought. Everything in life starts with a thought. It's a seed thought. And is is it a thought of truth or is it a thought of deception? Is it a thought of God's word or is it a thought from the lie of the enemy? I'll just be real moderately transparent 
But there was an area in my life, because, due to the lifestyle I used to live before the Lord, there were some fears that I had coming out of that of potential repercussions for poor choices that I had made in the past. From relationships to drugs to alcohol to everything I was doing, there was a fear in the back of my mind that although I had changed, that that stuff would catch up with me. And for 15 years, and I'm hoping this is going to help you, for 15 years, I had this gnawing fear in the back of my mind that I was going to die young because of the choices that I had made. And it gripped me and it gnawed on me for so long. But you guys have probably heard the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. It seems real. It, it feels real. The, the, the sensations that we experience, the alarms going off on the inside of us are real. And I don't want to deny that or sweep that under the rug. But I want you to know that there is something that can override that fear. And it's the truth of God's Word and faith in God as I've said it before, when faith comes in the front door, fear has got to go out this back door here. And if you got to, man, just get up and just kick that fear out the door, slam it, lock that door, and don't give it any more place or access in your life. Because fear will cripple us, but it is a lie and it is a deception of the enemy, but it holds people captive and the enemy has a way of making this facade in, his, in our lives and he tries to paint this picture of himself, of this big scary demon that can overpower us and, and put us in, in chains. But I tell you what, Jesus already t whipped him. He already stripped him of all authority, of all rights, of all power. And the only way that he has access into our lives is if we give it to him. So we need to say, access denied, Mr. Devil. I ain't giving you a foot. I ain't giving you an inch. Because if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile every time. So I ask you today, what picture are you painting? We can't always dictate this, the thoughts that, that flash across our mind. Thoughts come and thoughts go. But it's not the thoughts that come and go that we need to worry about. It's the thoughts that come and stay. It's the thoughts that begin to stick. It's the thoughts that we begin to, uh, begin to marinate in, begin to um, ruminate and meditate upon that begin to either take uh, a stronghold of bondage in our lives or another step towards freedom. Now, whatever that thought may be is going to lead us towards life or towards death. And so it is so critical that we begin to recognize, and it, it is really our duty as believers 
to do our due diligence, I think we get a little loose sometimes in our thoughts. We get a little loose as to what we entertain. But it is our duty, and there is a grace on our lives to take every thought captive and to tear down strongholds, to embrace the thoughts of God and to cut loose the thoughts of the enemy. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 Uh, I actually like it in the King James Version. In this particular verse, it says, Casting down vain imaginations. You know, God is a creative God. He is a God that wants us to dream. He's a God that wants us to use our imagination, but the enemy also wants us to use our imaginations to embrace those lies, to embrace those fears, to embrace those things and those false identities concerning ourselves. But God is wanting us to cast down those imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, which is His Word, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, the only way this is going to happen is if we value and esteem this word as much of the word that is going in will determine how much fruit it's going to produce in our lives how much freedom is going to produce in our lives the more word we put in the more it's going to take up more real estate in our lives to where the enemy is going to be just little by little just inched his way out the door. Why? Because you were giving him no access. You were giving him no room to move in your life. But there, if, there is, if there is idle time, if there is, if there is free space, the enemy will fill it. And that is why it is imperative that we take the responsibility to fill ourselves with God's Word and to cast down the imaginations of the enemy. If we're not careful, we can allow our thoughts and feelings in a moment to override our faith in the Word of God. We can allow our feelings and our thoughts in a moment to override the reality and the truth of God's Word. Casey Treat made this statement years ago, that the Word of God must be the highest level of truth and reality in our lives. Nothing can surpass it. Nothing can take its place. I want to read here in Matthew 26, verse 36 through 42. This is Jesus praying in, in, in Gethsemane. Verse 36 in the NLT, 26:36, Matthew. Um, it says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive groves, groves called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee, uh, two sons, and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he began, became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. 
He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh or the body is weak. Then finally in verse 42, he says, Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. So Jesus at Gethsemane, for the first time, is wrestling with his own will and the will of the Father. Up until this point, he's all about the Father's business. He said, I don't come in my own authority. There is none good but God. And he is, he, I only do what the Father says to do. I only say what the Father says to say. I only go where the Father says to go. He was on assignment. But here in the garden, he had this first time real wrestling, at least in Scripture, that we can, that we can read, that we can see, where there is a, a legitimate struggle going on with Jesus internally. Where there is a wrestling match between obeying his Father and preserving his life. The pressure and the agony coming in on him on all sides, pressing him to such a degree that he actually began to sweat blood. The definition for Gethsemane in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word, for Gethsemane is olive press. You know, olive oil can't be made without a pressing. Wine can't be made without the pressing of grapes. Our faith can't grow without testing. Just like our muscles can't grow without resistance. So there's something about the crushing. There's some I'm preaching. Come on. There's something about the pressing. There's something about the resistance. There's something about the walls closing in on you. And when we think about that that wine, or I should say that olive press in Gethsemane, that pressing produces olive oil. And when I think of prophetically, oil in the, in the Bible represents the anointing represents the Spirit of God. So through that crushing, through that pressing, if we say, Father, this is hard, this is difficult, I'm struggling, I I, I would much rather flee and do something easier. But I am submitted and committed to Your Lordship, to Your will, to Your purpose, to Your divine destiny, in spite of the pain, in spite of the hardship, in spite of the trouble and the struggle. I'm committed to this thing because I am committed to You. Nevertheless, Your will be done. Don't resist the wine press because in the wine press, you get the fine wine. Come on. In the wine press, you get the oil. In the wine press, you get the anointing of the Holy Ghost. When there are hardships in your life, I tell you what, that's when God shows up. When you, when you face opposition and you show God that I'm not going to quit on this thing, but I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep fighting. I tell you, anybody can do it when it's easy, but when it's tough. 
That's where the rubber meets the road, and that's where we see where we're really made of, and that is where we can begin to stretch our faith to another level and begin to grow in God and begin to overcome the enemy leaps and bounds and begin to put him under our feet more and more each and every day. So when Jesus was hard-pressed on every side at Gethsemane, I could only imagine the sense of agony and betrayal that he's experiencing. As Isaiah, um, I believe Isaiah prophesied about the, the, the shepherd being struck and the sheep scattering. That's exactly what happened here in the garden. The shepherd was struck. And those who said, Lord, I'll never abandon you, fled. So when Jesus was hard-pressed, how did he stay the course? If you're taking notes, number one, he envisioned the end in the beginning. That's a faith God at work there. He envisioned the end in the beginning. He saw the will of God as already done. Seeing the end of the beginning, seeing the end in the beginning gave him the strength to endure. When you can see the end result, when you can see the purpose behind what you are doing now in the midst of hardship, when you can see the finish line, when you can see the end in the beginning, God will strengthen you to finish strong. But you have to see the end in the beginning. Seeing the end in the beginning will give you the strength to endure. Hebrews 12.2 in the NLT says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. For the joy, and I put this in bold in mind, that was set before him. See, he had to set He had to set his mind. He had to set his thoughts. He had to set intentionally. Somebody did a Devo at church the other day. I think Matt Francis, that guy's so stinking creative. Uh, But he talked about uh, how a thermostat, you set it. See, a thermometer fluctuates based on the temperature around. But the thermostat actually sets it and it causes climate control. We have to set our fix. Jesus said, or or, uh, Paul said, or the writer of Hebrews said, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God. We are the joy that was set before him. Before the foundations of the world, he saw you. He saw you through the, through the centuries, through the generations. When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. I tell you, you are the joy. You are the driving force. You are the motivation that gave Jesus the endurance to endure and to to go through that 
terrible execution. It was you and it was me that gave him the joy to set his eyes, to look beyond the moment. He had a mission. He had a purpose in mind, bringing us victory and Satan defeat. He knew that there was a purpose behind what he was doing. We've heard it said before, you have to find the why. You have to find the why in what you are doing. Because if you don't have the why, you're not going to have the drive to stick with it. Jesus had a mission. I love the book of Isaiah, just the prophetic anointing on it. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to the to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies, to all who mourn in Israel, to all who mourn in Gig Harbor. He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for His own glory. He had a mission. I've come to bring good news. I'm telling you guys, the gospel is good news, and it's religion that's scared people off. If people understood just how good God is, and that, that, and as Tony was talking about, the sinner was the one who was justified. It's, uh, I got another message coming up, but... Uh, <clears throat> God is so good. But he knew his purpose to set the captives free, to redeem those that had lost, to, to, to undo what Adam had done when he committed high treason in the garden and gave authority back to Satan, the God of this world. Jesus had to come back in the flesh and take back that authority that Adam gave to Satan. And now he's given that authority to you and to me. The authority of his word. The authority of his name. So the joy that was set before him, number one, he, he, he was fixed. There was a method to the madness. Number two, he spoke and he acted on God's word. Matthew 4, I won't get into it, but when Jesus went into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, he'd been fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. He was weary. And how many know the enemy loves to show up at the most inopportune times? When we're, when we're high in the Spirit, he's got enough sense not to come knocking on our door. But when Monday rolls around, He'll start knocking on the door. He'll start making accusations. He'll start accusing us. He is the accuser of the brethren. Or he's the accuser of us as children of God. He's trying to accuse us and put shame on us. 
You know, he's actually tempting us to lead us into sin just so that he can shame us. But Jesus broke that. He gave us a way out through the blood, no matter what we've done. No ma- that blood is so powerful. And that's what we need to recognize, that we've been washed in that blood and that we no longer have to carry guilt and shame. So Jesus spoke the word. The devil would throw it at him, and he'd throw it right back at him. That is our, one of our primary weapons, is the word of faith, speaking out the word of God. Faith has a voice. I've said this before, but, but a thought unspoken dies unborn. It's your words that give life to it. So speak that word out. I like what Isaiah said in chapter 50, verse 7, because the sovereign Lord helps me. Now get this. I mean that alone. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, he's saying you can do this. You're not in this alone. You can do this because I am with you, I'm for you, and I'm going to help you. You'll go into situations you won't know what to say, but he'll give you the words to speak. He's saying, I will help you and you will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will. Just like we were talking about, Jesus set, his his mind was set on the joy of you and I. We need to set and fix our minds, determining to do His will. Whatever He has called us to do, we need to do it. And I know that I will not be put to shame. I love the story in the Gospels. I'm I'm reading in uh, John right now, but over in Mark chapter 5, Jesus heals in response to faith. In Mark chapter 5, and I'm probably closing with this. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 through 34 in the NLT. It says, can I get a drink of water? It says, mine's out. Uh, It says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal. Thank you. She had suffered a great deal for many, uh, suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had actually grown worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, frightened, trembling at the realization at what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, I just want to break this down a little for a little bit here in this woman's experience. And now this lady had been suffering for 12 years 
with this menstrual bleeding going on, and I, I could only imagine what that was like. And she had been going to doctors and getting treatment, and thank God for doctors, but they're, they're practicing medicine. <clears throat> they don't have all the answers. They don't have all the solutions. And thank God for them. But sometimes, you know, they, they can work hand in hand with the Lord. <clears throat> the, I like this statement Pastor Hagen says all the time, the natural and the supernatural come together, make an explosive force for God. So it's not just natural and it's not just supernatural. It's the two coming together that make a powerhouse for God. But this woman heard about Jesus and the miracles and healings that he had been doing. So she caught wind of it. She heard, man, you know, I've been sick for 12 years. I've been suffering from a, for a long time. I've been seeking out the help that I know to get, and it doesn't seem to be benefiting me. But I've been hearing these stories. I've been hearing these testimonies of Jesus and healing people of all kinds of ailments, from leprosy to blindness, you name it. <clears throat> so she had heard about Jesus, and then she said within herself. So she heard, and then she didn't stop from just, well, that's nice. You know, they he did it for them, but I don't... How many times do we look at testimonies and say, God was faithful to them, but I don't know if he'll do that for me. I don't know how many times I've, I've, I've entertained those thoughts where it's like, man, and, and as a minister, so many times I've been able to minister to people and see God work in their lives, but for whatever reason, struggle that he'll do it for me personally. It sounds kind of funny, but it's one of those wrestling matches a lot of times for ministers when, when you're delivering it out. It's easy to give it out, but sometimes it's hard to receive it for whatever reason. But it's just as available. But we got to use our faith just like everybody else does. And so she heard about Jesus but then she said within herself, if I could just touch the hem of his robe. So she's visualizing, like Michael Jordan. Man, I, had, I had heard about what had been going on around town here. Now I'm visualizing. And she came up with this within herself. If I could just touch the hem of his robe, I will be made well. She put a demand on God. She put a demand on his word. And I tell you what, as she did that, hearing, faith comes by hearing. She was hearing of the signs, wonders, and miracles in Jesus' ministry. And then she took that hearing and said, that's mine too. If it's good enough for them, I tell you what, it's good enough for me. If it's good enough for that person down the road, it's good enough for you. I tell you what, we can lay hold of it. He is no respecter of persons. He's just a respecter of faith. And he is looking all across this world, all across this land, for those that will simply activate their faith and lay hold of what he's already provided. So she heard. 
And we need to do the same and say within ourselves, ooh, if I could just touch, if I could just simply stretch and lay out, whatever that may be for you, whether it may be healing or something else in your life, whether it may be a job or a restored relationship, whatever the case may be, if, if, if I could just lean into Jesus, I know that he could turn it around. I know that he can. I love that song we used to sing at Rama, and man, it get, Greg got me on video for ordination. But he'll touch my body. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. I'm going to praise his name. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. And that's why we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, it says in Revelation 12, 11, because it, there is so much power in testimony. Why? Because it generates faith. It causes faith to well up on the inside of us. When we hear the goodness of God in someone else's life, we can say, man, that's good enough for me. I'm going to lay hold of it. I'm going to hear the word, and then I'm going to say within myself, if I could just lay hold of. And then as she said within herself, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, I would be healed. But there was a third step. She didn't stop there. She acted. You know, a woman in her condition in that, in that space and time, she was an outcast a lot like a, lepros, a leper would be where if she went into the city and she was supposed to be isolated, she would have to verbally say out loud, unclean, unclean, unclean. She laid all that aside and said, I'm going to press. Once again, there's that pressing. I'm going to press. I've been suffering for 12 years, but I'm going to press. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to get what I came for. I'm going to go through this crowd. I'm going to go upstream. I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to press. I'm going to press. So she acted. She pressed. And what happened when she pressed? And she was pressing and pressing and leaning and leaning. What happened? She was in the oil press and the anointing of God when she touched it began to flow and that oil ran down on off of her touching her body power flew out of him virtue came out of him flew into her body drove out that sickness she acted she pressed through the crowd she was persistent in her faith and Jesus said, it's already yours. You took it. Who touched me? Jesus didn't even initiate it. <laughs> so oftentimes, you know, Jesus did the initiate. Well, let me come over to your house. Let me tell you what. He's saying press, press. Don't, 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 don't just, you know. Have, you know, so-and-so pray for you, but press. There's something about you pressing. There's something about you leaning in that will cause that oil to flow. It's 
So don't get disheartened, but find purpose in your wilderness. What is the goal in front of you that keeps you motivated to move ahead even when things are difficult? If you have no goal, it's, it's likely you'll give up. Hosea 4.6 says that without vision, my people perish. Or I'm sorry. No, that's, that's I'm destroyed for a lack of knowledge, but that's still good. Proverbs 29.18, I believe. <laughs> says that... Um, What's it say? We, oh, without vision, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Without vision, my people perish. So vision is essential to us moving forward. What are we visualizing? What, what are we looking at? What are we fixing our eyes upon? To know where we're heading. To know what it's going to look like when we get there. What kind of victory... Oh, this is good. I got this from uh, Rick Renner. <clears throat> I'm just going to go ahead and read it. What is the goal in front of you that keeps you motivated to move ahead even when things are difficult? If you have no goal, it's likely you'll give up. That's why it's so important to know exactly where you are heading, what will happen when you get there, and what kind of victory you'll experience when you attain the long-awaited position. Just as Jesus needed a joyous outcome to be set before him, I guarantee it that we need one too. So what are we building with our lives? What keeps us motivated to stay on track? What, what are we setting our mind upon? What will it look like when you get there? What are you writing with your faith? in your storybook, in your life? What will the final chapter of your life look like because you've done what Jesus asked you to do? What is the specific joy that is set before you that will give you the strength when you are to press? When you are to press. Praise. Praising God is the joy activator. Praise God through the process. Cultivate a life of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. See and declare the end result in the beginning as we walk it out day by day by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' mighty name. Man. Joe, can we do a song? We got to... It's, huh? You good? All right, Father, we just thank you and praise you, God, for your presence, for your holy word, that you are doing a work in our lives. Father, I thank you that we do not draw back from our Gethsemane. The Lord's asking you today, what is your Gethsemane? What is your Gethsemane right now? where you were being pressed. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Lean into it. God's bringing you through that as a, as a refiner's fire. He's wanting to refine you.
He's wanting the fire of God to come and to purify your life. To cause all those foreign objects that ought not to be in you to rise to the surface so that he can come with his ladle and scoop all of the copper, iron, and zinc out of your life so you can be a pure vessel unto God that is fit for the master's use. So don't resist it, but lean into it. Press. Find your, find your purpose in the wilderness. God's saying, don't, don't succumb to the temptation of complaining. For that is what caused the children of Israel to miss out on the promised land, to miss out on the fullness of what I had for them, complaining. So watch your tongue, watch your words, watch your mouth. But speak forth my word and you will begin to see. You will begin to see a move of God in your life. You will begin to see the seas part. You will begin to see the walls come crumbling down if you resist the temptation to complain and to retreat. But begin to speak forth the word of God and lean in to the pressing. Lean in to your Gethsemane. Embrace your purpose in the wilderness so God can refine you. God can purify you. God can make you a vessel into honor so that you can come out on the other side stronger, so that you can come out on the other side better, so that you can come out on the other side the man or the woman of God that he has called you to be that is free. That is whole. That is well. That can experience his peace and his presence on an ongoing basis in a world that is consumed with chaos. Press into that Gethsemane and let that oil run down on you. Let that pressing break every chain in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Oh, boy. Well, I'm glad I came to church tonight. That was, that was fun. You guys have a good time? Well, let's just praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We got so much to be thankful for. We count our blessings. We will not be ungrateful. We will not be complainers. We will not have bitter attitudes. But we will praise God and allow that to be the joy activator in our lives. As we set our face upon the prize. As we determine in our hearts to say, Father, 
not my will, but your will be done. And I thank you, Lord, that we will praise you through this process all the way into victory. In Jesus' name, amen.